All right, I want to welcome all of you to week two of our series entitled Be Happy. Come on, let's just welcome all of our campuses that are joining us. Man, it's so excited. Baton Rouge, Gulf Coast, Bay St. Louis, Biloxi, those in our new building, West Osmonde campus. Man, so excited to have all of you. So we last week kicked off a eight-week series. I've never taught an eight-week series before, but we're, we're unpacking and we're looking at actually the most famous sermon that Jesus ever taught. It's a sermon on the mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And we're looking at the beginning part of that, which is classically or commonly known as the Beatitudes. It's interesting in that sermon, Jesus is redefining for his disciples this term, and it's a term that's been discussed in every generation, every culture, every socioeconomic background, every ethnic group. They're trying to figure out, and we've all tried to figure out, how to experience this term. Matter of fact, if you and I were doing man or woman on the street, where you know how you stop people and say, hey, come here, come here, come here, and, and you ask people questions. You ever seen that before? And you ask somebody, excuse me, can you define for me happiness. Be interesting the different responses we would get. Some people would say, well, happiness, you know, it's, it's um, well, I, well, I feel happy when, when, I, when I have certain experiences. When I experience certain things, I, I feel emotionally good, and, and, and so I'm happy when I experience this. Uh, others would define happiness based upon maybe accomplishments. Man, I tell you, when I when I, when I close a deal, when I do this, when I, when, when, when this, when I accomplish this particular thing or task, I, I feel happy. I had a conversation with a guy one time and I asked him, I said, you know, we were at dialogue and we we're actually having breakfast. And I said, well, just tell me, you know, when, when do you feel good? When do you feel happy? He goes, pastor, I'll tell you what, it's real simple. When my marriage is in a good place, when my kids are in a good place and my business is in a good place, I feel happy. Now, here's what he said. He goes, that's rarely the case. I said, is it possible for you to feel happy, for you to feel joyful if everything's not in a good place? Is that possible? Matter of fact, in this sermon, Jesus redefines for us, and I want to say with some pretty radical thoughts, I'm going to talk to you today about something I've never taught on the weekend, 21 years Jennifer and I had the privilege of being sent across the lake 21 years ago to start Church of the King, and, and I've never taught on this particular beatitude. Now, for those of you who are saying, you know, beatitudes, where do we get that term from? Scholars and theologians for generations, they have called the very first part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching on the seashore of Galilee. Actually, there's a mountainside. For those of you that have been to Israel before, it's a beautiful part of Israel. And apparently he's got the multitudes that are down by the seashore and, and his disciples come to him and, and they ask him for more insight. They, they ask him for, for clarity. And it's interesting. The disciples come to him and he, and he tends to go or he seems to go up the mountainside a little bit and he begins to answer, he begins to answer some discussion questions. They ask him questions and he said, well, let me just tell you something. I, I want to define for you redefine for you happiness. Now, if you weren't here last week, and I want to just say it's so important if you're not here, each one of these topics, although I'm sequentially going through the Beatitudes, they do stand alone. 
So go back, you can go online, download those, but, but, but there's a word, and it's the first word. Now watch this, this is so important. It's the first word in the beginning of each one of the Beatitudes, and it's the word blessed. Blessed or blessed. Everybody say, blessed. Okay, now watch this. For you, those of you that weren't here last week, the word blessed or blessed actually means... Four of y'all were listening last week. Man, I feel so excited as a pastor. I'm really getting the word across, aren't I? All right, let's do it again, class. All right, y'all ready? All right. The word, this, please, this is very central. Okay. The word bless or blessed actually means translated. What does it mean? One, two, three, happy. Okay, so when, we, when Jesus says, blessed are those, 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 blessed are eight times he says it. You can actually change that word out and say, happier those, happier those, happier those. What is he doing? He's redefining happiness. He's redefining happiness. All right. And it's interesting. If we understand the redefinition. Now, I know what some of you guys think. Well, Pastor, you know what? Again, when things are good, I'm happy. But here's my contention. According to the Bible, we need to experience joy and happiness when our circumstances might not necessarily be good. And by the way, things are going to change around us. The economy is going to shift. We're going to have personal challenges, cultural challenges. Jesus said that. John chapter 16, he says, in this world, this world, we're still in the world, right? We're not in heaven. By the way, memo, we're not in heaven yet. And in this world, we're going to have troubles and trials and tribulations, but be of, everybody say it, good cheer. Jesus said, I've overcome the world. So there's a way that we can experience, according to Jesus, happiness and joy in spite of our environment. He gives us eight ways. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Let me begin with that. Here it is, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. That's the Sermon on the Mount. Beatitudes is the first part of the Sermon on the Mount. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Verse 2. Then he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, now I'm going to jump down to verse 4, because last week I talked about blessed are the poor in spirit. The second beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn. Happy are those who mourn. We see that Jesus is training his disciples here, and he's saying to them, we need to mourn. It's somewhat paradoxical because how are you happy if you mourn? I thought if I'm mourning, I'm not happy. And, and, and I thought if I'm happy, I would never mourn. But how do you put together happiness and mourning? That, it's, a, it's a paradox. It's, it's a dichotomy. How, how do I put happiness and mourning in the same sentence? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's interesting when I began to look at this, quote, beatitude this week, I began to think about the term mourn. The word mourn actually means to express deep sorrow or grief. By the way, in the Bible, when you see the word sorrow, grief, or mourning, they're all analogous terms. They're they're all used interchangeably. I, I began to think about in my own life, 
began to think about the different times in my life where I have felt grief and I have felt a sense of mourning. And I, and I began to think about, and by the way, where does that come from? It comes from loss. We experience loss, all of us. It's part of the human dilemma that, that we experience loss. We experience disappointment. We go through things in life. And when you go through things in life, you experience, watch this, you experience mental, emotional, physiological, and spiritual impact. You have an expectation. You have something in a relationship shifts. You have something in business shifts. You have something with the child. And, and you experience loss. You experience a disappointment. And all of a sudden, watch this, the opportunity for this emotion of grief comes up. And Jesus would say, blessed, blessed are those who mourn. Happy are those who mourn. Now, you ever had a, a relationship with somebody? And we all, by the way, are imperfect. Every single one of us are imperfect. I'm imperfect. Uh, we, we, we all, even though we're new creations in Christ, we still sin. We still blow it. But, but I think a goal of Christian maturity is when we try to have what we believe and, what, and how we behave. We want to get them consistent. Now, we, we, we all have a little bit of hypocrisy in us. Isn't that right? I mean, in a sense, we believe certain things, but our behavior, sometimes we freak out. Sometimes we say the wrong thing. So in other words, we, we want to get our beliefs and our behavior to be consistent. Thank God that there is no incongruency between what Jesus believes and how he behaves. In other words, thank God that Jesus, don't miss this, he practices what he preaches. And we all would like to strive towards that. We'd all, we would all, myself included, we want to, we want to, watch this, we want to practice what we preach. So for Jesus to say, blessed, happy are those who mourn, mourn, for they shall be comforted. The question is, does he practice that? 700 years before the birth of Christ, there is a powerful verse in the Old Testament. It's a prophetic verse. What is prophecy? It's a, it is a verse that spoke to both the context in which it was written, but it has future implications. And it talks about the birth of Christ. It talks about who Jesus is and, and, and things that he was going to go through. And I love this, the prophet Isaiah, one of my favorite books in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3 and 4, it says, He is despised, talking of Jesus. Speaking of Jesus, he is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted. What's that next word? Say it. With grief. Wow. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried away our sorrows. I think there's an insight here in Scripture. There's, there's somewhat of an implication that, that someone that has experienced grief can identify with those that grieve. Somebody that's gone through something, somebody that's experienced something, can identify with someone that is going through something. He was a man of sorrows. He was a man of grief. And yet, because of that, it uniquely qualified him and positioned him to be able to grieve with you and I. When you look in the Bible, John chapter 19, Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem. And of course, he was sent to be the, the savior of the world. And he looked over the city of Jerusalem, many of which had rejected his Messiahship. 
And, and, and the Bible says he, he, he grieved over the city of Jerusalem. He wept over the city of Jerusalem. Here it is, Jesus Christ, fully God but fully man. And he wept and he cried over the city of Jerusalem. Luke chapter 22, many of you have heard me preach about it, the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus goes to that very unique place in that unique moment and he brought Peter, James, and John. Why did he bring them? Because this was the moment of consecration. It was the moment where he kneeled before the Father and he was, he was, he was <laughs> contemplating the, 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 the imminent moment where he was going to die on the cross. And the Bible says that as he knelt, he actually, he, he knelt and he was weeping and, he was, and, and his sweat was actually drops of blood. Why? Because he understood the pain that he was about to experience. What uniquely qualifies Jesus to teach this principle what uniquely qualifies Jesus? Because, because he practices what he preaches. Blessed, happy are those who grieve. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Why, why, why does he have such moral authority to do it? Because he's God, yes, but because he was also God in the flesh. And he grieved with us. I think probably the... The best example in the Bible that, is, that really puts what I would call the flesh and blood on this, what really, really gives me an example is, is in John chapter 11. It's one of the most powerful stories in the New Testament. When Jesus actually wept over loss. I, um, I've, I've had the opportunity to go to Israel a number of times and a couple miles outside of the city of Jerusalem there's a city called Bethany. Now, now I'm going to say a couple statements. I think they're interesting. I mean, you know, Jesus had a weekend getaway. He really did. He had, he had, this, he had this little city called Bethany. It's just a little bit uh, outside of the city of Jerusalem. Remember, two primary places where the ministry of Jesus, number one is Galilee. It's where he began his ministry. Where did he end his ministry? Is in Jerusalem on Golgotha, Mount Calvary. But as he was entering into those last I would call it last season of his ministry. It was interesting. He, he had this city, and there's a reason why he had this city called Bethany. It's because he had three friends there, and they were siblings. He, there was Lazarus who lived there, Mary who lived there, and Martha who lived there. And they were friends. I, he would, I don't know they would, what they would do, but they would just hang out and, and eat and drink, and, and they would tell stories, and, and, and he had a friendship. He had a legitimate friendship with these people, and, and they were siblings, and, and, and he'd be in intense ministry in Jerusalem, and it was getting to that point, and then he would just go away for the weekend. He'd go to Bethany, and then he'd come back, recharged and refueled. And one day, one day he heard about something. A very tragic news came to him. He heard about his friend being sick. Then he heard about his friend Lazarus actually dying. In John chapter 11, Jesus walks actually into Bethany. And when he walks into Bethany, the first person he encounters is Martha. And Martha says to him, now watch this, she confronts him. And she says to Jesus, she says, Jesus, where have you been? Why, have you, why, are, why are you not here? I mean, if you would have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Jesus is, is taken back by that, and, and yet he continues to walk deeper into Bethany, and he, he begins to walk with her, and then, and then he encounters the next sister, not Martha, but Mary. And the Bible says as he 
as he saw her, she was weeping and, and she was crying. And the Bible says something so unique here. It captures something so unique. John chapter 11, verse 33. The Bible says that Jesus groaned in his spirit and was troubled. Just think about that for a moment. God in the flesh, without sin, fully God but fully man, in his humanity, he saw a person that he loved and that he cared for who was broken and he was broken. He's, he experienced the loss of a friend. You know what's so crazy about this? He knew the outcome, and yet he was willing to embrace the grief. I want to talk to you guys about three lessons on grief that we learned from Jesus. I, I, um, it's a powerful message. I've never taught on grief before. I, I've taught on depression. I've taught on different things, but... The challenge of teaching through scripture is you got to teach every topic. And, and so if I'm teaching the Beatitudes, every single one of them, when I, when I began to unpack this message, I, I do a message map, so I know what I'm preaching a year out. I, probably 80%, I do a message map and meet with the team and say, here's what we want to talk about, and this, is, and this, and this. And, and as I got to this, and I began to unpack it, and I began to study, and I began to learn, and, and it's interesting as a pastor because you experience the message before you actually preach the message. This was, a, this, was a, this was a tough one, but a healing one. Everybody say, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Wow. Blessed, happy are those who mourn. Why, pastor? Why can happiness and mourning be in the same sentence? Three lessons on grief that we learned from Jesus. Number one, I believe that Jesus would say to us today, it's okay to grieve. In fact, it's one of the godliest responses to painful trouble in our life. It's not weak, it's wisdom. It's not unscriptural, it's scriptural. It's not unspiritual, it's spiritual. It's humble, it's honest, it's healthy. Grieving is healthy. Grieving is God's will. The Bible actually says in verse 35, by the way, the shortest verse in all the Bible, this is powerful. To capture this, you have to think about who Christ is and, and what he represents and, and to understand the glorious man, Christ Jesus, in his humanity. The Bible says in verse 35, he's looking at Mary and he sees the tears in her eyes. And the Bible says, Jesus, can you say that next word with me? Say it, say it wept. Wow. It's okay to grieve. If Jesus Christ wept, if he, if, he, if he allowed his emotion and his humanity to come up and to experience that, wow. Jesus wept. I believe that Jesus would say to all of us today, it's, it's okay to grieve. It's actually it's actually recommended. Jesus wept even when he knew the Father had a bigger plan. I want to pause on that just for a moment. Jesus wept even though he knew the Father had a bigger plan. What do I mean by that? He knew the outcome. He's the Alpha and the Omega. 
He knew what was going to happen. And yet he was willing to step into the pain and experience pain of his sister and his own personal feeling, even though he knew the resurrection was coming. How quickly we want to go past the pain. Brother, God's going to take care of her. Brother, God, I know God's going to take care of her. But can you just sit here with me just for a moment? We want to skip over that. It's uncomfortable for us, isn't it? It's awkward for us, both in our lives and in the lives of others. It's not a lack of faith to grieve. Jesus, I believe, doesn't want us to stuff it down reason it out, or try to tell others that they're weak even for crying or mourning. I believe that Jesus would want to say that he is here for us, actually grieving with us. Here's what I found. Those that are unwilling to grieve get stuck. They get stuck in their emotions. They get stuck in their mental processing. They get, they get stuck in life. Why? Because pain hits us. By the way, pain's going to experience. Life is painful. Don't ever tell your kids life isn't painful. Say God is good and God can help us. But, but, but we experience stuff in life. And when we don't allow ourselves to grieve, maybe somebody told you that. Men, I'm going to tell you, as a man, maybe somebody said, men don't cry, men don't grieve. That's unscriptural. I think that Jesus was a manly man. How about y'all? And yet he wept. All of us have to understand the biblical process. Psychologists will tell us. Counselors will tell us that there's stages of grief, and it's important for us to go through. But, but I don't need a psychologist to tell me that. I look to the Bible, and the Bible says that. The Bible says, blessed are those who grieve. Wow. I remember a number of years ago, a while back, I, I had a friend who was a very dear friend of mine that I felt a deep betrayal with. He was going through trauma himself. By the way, you guys know I've said this before. Hurt people do what? Isn't that right? Bumper cars. Remember as a kid, you played bumper cars? We were in bumper cars. How many of y'all remember Pontchartrain Beach? Come on. Can I have a witness in God's house? Didn't that feel good just doing that? <laughs> Bumper cars is because somebody has been hit. They hit. And the reality is, is that pain comes in life. And, and, and I was, there was a friend of mine, he was going through a big trauma, and I, he reached out for help from me, and I, I tried to step in his, and you, you know how this happens, and I, I tried to step in his life and, and, and help him through this, and he asked me to, and, and, and somewhere in the, I don't know when it happened, something like flipped inside of him, and all of a sudden, I became the problem. Has that ever experienced, have you ever experienced that? And the next thing you know, he's attacking me, he's accusing me. Now, I knew he was in pain, but it was like it became so verbal and it was so aggressive that it just blew me away. Finally, finally, he started telling people things. And I thought, wait, time out. And now, again, I can justify, I can rationalize, I can belittle him, I can reduce him. And I, I thought, you're crazy. No, but, but, but the fact of the matter is it was painful. We don't have a relationship this day. I thought, man, we we're going to be buddies for life. I thought, how did that happen? Has anybody experienced that before? You go in a rescue, you go in to help somebody, and halfway through the dilemma, their trauma is so great, they lose their ability to see objectively, and you become the problem. Wow, that was painful. And you have a choice. It was so painful. I, 
And I just felt like a couple, two or three months into that, I, I, I could tell that I was just in my body and in my mind. Let me tell you, I, I was, I was, I was, there's, I was janked up on the inside. If I can say it, that, I don't know if that's a word. I, and, and so here's, here's what happens when you get traumatized. Pastor, you're getting ready to throw that. Just hang on. This is an illustration. <laughs> when you experience pain, neurologically, emotionally, physiologically, your brain, it's almost like you get clogged up. It's like there gets dirt that's thrown into the well. And it, and it obscures your ability to, to see life correctly. So in a sense, so, so we, we have vision. So this is a PVC pipe, and it's a pipe, and so I can see clearly through this pipe. I can see you, I, 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 can, see, I can see people clearly through this. I can see life clearly through this. I, but, but, but when we experience pain, here, here's what happens. And, and, and when we don't process the pain, when we stuff the grief, because we think it's a lack of faith. When we stuff the faith, when we stuff the grief because we think, well, I shouldn't do that. Or, or I'm a type A personality. And the way that I'm going to deal with this is I'm just going to throw myself into something else. Oh, man. Here's what happens. You, 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 get, you get dirt in there. And, and, it, and it stuffs in there. And it goes deep in there. And, and everybody looks at you. And everything looks the same on the outside. You, you, what they can't see is there's a bunch of dirt on the inside. And your ability to process life, you begin to see people differently. You begin to see, you begin to see God differently. You, you begin to see yourself differently. When you process grief with a small group leader, with a counselor, with a godly sibling that has a God perspective, an eternal perspective, a friend, when you're able to process the pain and just get it out, what happens is, is it, 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 it clears, it clears the, the, the pipe where you can begin to see again. I, I got to tell you, it, it took me a while. And after processing, I, I had to get somebody that I could just process because it was so painful. It's okay to grieve. It's not unspiritual to grieve. It's not unbiblical. It's not a lack of faith. It actually is a lot of faith because you're willing to face the pain. You're willing to face the pain. Jesus wept. Question, is all grief related to crying? No, but a lot of it is. Grieving is not always expressed through crying, although it often is. The God-intended result of grief is to integrate new life into us in healthy ways, to clear out the pipe, to clear out the pipe. I believe that God wants to give you permission to grieve. Find a godly friend. Find a godly small group leader. Find a godly counselor. Find somebody that you can, you can grieve with, that you can pour it out. Why? Blessed. Everybody say happy. Everybody say happy are those who grieve. What happens is if you don't, your heart gets hardened. That's what happens. I'm never going to let anybody get close to me again. I'm not going to let anybody do that to me. Are y'all with me? I'm not going to ever let anybody do that to me again. Oh, yeah. 
people are bad. Oh, you end up living isolated. But happy are those who grieve because they get it out, for they shall be comforted. How many of y'all want to experience the comfort of God? Come on, how many, I, I want to experience that in my life. Number one, I believe that Jesus has given us permission to grieve. Number two, grieving puts us on both the receiving and the giving end of Jesus' love and empathy. Important word. Grieving is a picture of God's love in action. Jesus wept because he was moved by his friend's sorrow. Jesus stopped and he cried with Mary. He, he was coming to the tomb, but on the way to the miracle, he stopped. Please hear me. On the way to the miracle, he knew the miracle was going to happen. Don't pass over so fast in the name of encouraging your friend that you're unwilling to step into their mess. We, we want to say, oh, God, brother, God's going to do something great. God, I know that he's going to do something great. He knew the resurrection was coming. He could have said, stop all that. The resurrection is here. I'm the resurrection. But he didn't do that. Because he knew psychologically and emotionally it was an integral part to integrating new life. He was the resurrection. Look at verse 35, 36. As Jesus empathizes with Mary, he says, So the Jews said, See how he loved him. He, he, he loved Lazarus and, and, and he was willing to make himself transparent. He was willing to empathize with Mary. He was willing to step into Mary and Martha's world. The Bible says it this way Proverbs. Or book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 15. Weep with those who what? Everybody say it. Weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice, but weep with those who weep. Empathy is a powerful word. It's a powerful posture. It's a biblical posture. It's defined as understanding a person from his or her perspective, their frame of reference, rather than one's own. Empathy is vicariously... Being willing to experience another person's feelings. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Empathy is sitting with people in their mess. Let me tell you one of the main problems I've had in my marriage. You guys ready? Here it is. I'm so solution-minded. I want to fix things, fix problems, fix my wife, fix my kids, fix people. But how I many know that, that's, that's, that, that should come down the line? Are you all with me? Everybody say, weep with those who weep. We've got to be willing, and this is so difficult. And I want to speak to all the type A personality. Oh, pastor, you know, he's gone soft. No, I, I'm a type A personality. I'm a very hyperactive, productive, in-your-face personality. I, I, I'm solution-oriented. But, but I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something. You can damage relationships. Weep with those who who weep. Yes, rejoice with those who rejoice, but, but weep with those who... Question, I'm asking everybody, when was the last time you wept with somebody that was weeping? Guys, let me ask you this. Your spouse comes to you or reverse it either way. Ladies, maybe your personality is like mine where you're more type A and, and your husband's feeling broken. Do, listen, do you tell them you need to rise up or do you weep with them first and then there's a moment to rise up? I think that we have rise up so fast that we don't emotionally connect with people. He was the resurrection. Yeah. What would happen in our home if we understood the power of empathy? What would happen in our community if we understood? What would happen in our nation if we understood the power of empathy? 
Number one, Jesus gives us permission to grieve. Number two, I think grieving puts us on the receiving and giving end of the love of Christ. Number three, and I'll close. Jesus brings new life out of our pain. He brings new life out of our pain. Let's read what Jesus said to Lazarus, says Sister Martha. Now remember, here it is. Watch this. He's walking. He hears. Martha's the first one that connects with him. Then Mary. Listen to what Jesus says. Here's what he says in John chapter 11, verse 25. He said, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. By the way, he said that to her even before he wept. He knew the outcome. We believe in miracles. We believe that God can do anything. But it was so important. Please hear me. It was so important for her soul, for her God to weep with her. It's so important. It's so important for us to step into people's world. Don't give them such a quick pat answer when they first want you just to put your arm around them. Oh, man, I don't know how I can communicate this anymore. I don't know what else I can do to get this point across. It'll, it'll transform your relationships. It'll transform a church. It'll transform a community. It'll transform anything. Don't, don't, go, don't go so quickly to the solution. The resurrection himself was standing there, and yet he wept with that woman. He, he wept with her. Grief isn't fatal. You can do it. You can step into it with somebody else. You can step in it. You know, a big word that everybody's using these days is narcissism. What narcissist basically is, it's a type A personality that basically is so far off the charts, they're unwilling to get into somebody else's mess. They connect cognitively, but they don't connect emotionally. The problem is, is that we're spirit, soul, and body. We've got an emotion. We've got a mind. And if Jesus modeled it, we better figure it out. Yeah. John chapter 11, verse 43. Man, y'all are deeply thinking about this one. The Bible says, and he cried with a loud voice. Here it is. Here it is, guys. He comes. Martha looks at him. If he'd have been here, and then he keeps walking, Mary's weeping, Jesus starts weeping, he's still walking over to the tomb, and now's the moment for the miracle. So he wept, and here comes the miracle. He wept, and here comes the miracle. He had the arm around the person, he's weeping. We know God can do miracles. We know God can raise the dead. We know God can heal. We know all those things. But he wept. And here it is. You guys ready? And he cried with a loud voice. He's now at the tomb. Lazarus, come forth. Why did he say, why, why did he just not say come forth? I'll tell you why he didn't just say come forth. If he had said just come forth, everybody would have come forth. It would have been like a Michael Jackson video. <laughs> I thought I'd just add that in. Okay, just, if you don't get that, you're not 52. I just want to, <laughs> don't make me do, uh, anyway, I just, okay. <laughs> I got to get back to the Bible. All right, here we go. Everybody say, Lazarus. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound, hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, please don't miss this last point. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. You know, Mary and Martha's faith and belief that Jesus was the resurrection, it really positioned them. 
Boy, they, they met Jesus in a whole different dimension that day. The God of the universe, the, third, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son in the flesh, the incarnation, Emmanuel, God with us. He wept with them. And I, I don't want to say, I want to say this to all of you. There's nothing more comforting when you're going through pain than allowing someone close to you to pray for you and to minister to you and to feel the presence of God. And I want you to hear this and I want you to see what I told you today. Jesus wants to step into that with you. That's biblical. That's biblical. There's a moment to rise up, but he first steps into the mess. And then he says, come forth. Why? Life comes always out of death. Life always comes out of pain. If you'll allow the Holy Spirit, whatever the loss is in your life, whatever the disappointment you've experienced, the outcome is not, we can't overly define the outcome, but there's a positive outcome. There's something that God will do. There's something that he brings. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. Watch this. Lazarus, come forth. And here comes Lazarus. He's raised from the dead. Miracle comes forth. Now watch this, and I'll close. And then he looks at them, and he says, you, don't miss this. He says, you guys, loose him. Take the clothes. Take the grave clothes off. Can I tell you something? Listen to me. This is important. Everybody say, happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Here it is. Here it is. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. When you enter into grief and you allow that pain to get out of your soul and you allow God to heal you, you actually are not defensive with people and you allow people back into your life and they actually help you in the healing process. Loose that person. and It takes people. It's God and God uses people back here. How many are grateful for the provision of God? The provision of God. Matter of fact, I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads. All of our campuses, I'm going to pray for you. I sense the Holy Spirit in such a powerful way right now. Maybe you're in this place. At all of our campuses, those that are joining us online, literally all over the world, I, I believe the Holy Spirit has brought you to this message for a purpose. Maybe you do not know Christ. You've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. You've never said yes to God. This is a moment for you. Here's what the Bible says. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Question, do you know Jesus? Is he your personal Lord and Savior? If you die today, are you ready to stand before God? Jesus loves you. He's not mad at you. He died for you. He came not to condemn you, but to save you and set you free. Do you know Christ? 32 years ago, I gave my heart to Christ. I was 19 years old. I, I said, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me and make me new. Do you know Jesus? At the count of three, all of our campuses, those that are online, if you say, Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. I'm not sure about my relationship with God. I'm not sure if I died. I'm ready to stand before God. I want to trust Christ as my Savior. If that's you at the count of three, would you just lift your hand up high so I can see it? Would you do that? One, two, three. Quickly hold your hand up high. God bless you guys right here. God bless you, ma'am, right there. Anybody else? God bless you, sir. God bless you guys. Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you right there. Church, let's pray with those that are trusting Christ. God bless you, buddy. God bless you.
God loves you, man. He brought you here today. God brought you here today. This was your moment. Your moment with God. Church, let's pray. Can we pray? I sense the Holy Spirit, man, right now. Let's pray together as a church family. Say, dear Jesus, I come to you today. A sinner in need of a Savior. Say, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I let go of my past, and I turn to you. I turn to the cross. Say, Jesus, wash me with your blood. Give me a new heart, a new life, a new reason to live. Say this last thing. Say, Jesus, I take my life, and I put it in your hands. Yeah, let me pray. Father, I thank you for the sealing work of the Holy Spirit and the word of the living God taking root deep in the hearts of your people. Everybody just give me 30 seconds and look at me at all of our campuses. There's a card behind your chair called My Decision. I'm going to ask you to fill it out. It's real simple now because all of our buckets, because we don't pass the buckets for our offering time, so they're all in the back of all the buildings, all of our campuses. So this card, you just drop it in that bucket. Guest card, decision card, all this stuff. It's real simple, all right? I want to send you a letter to talk about what it means to serve the Lord on a daily basis. I'm going to ask everybody to stand. Did y'all enjoy that message today? I hope that helped everybody. This is definitely one to probably go back and listen to over again. Let me pray a blessing. Father, I pray a blessing over your people. May the grace of God be upon them. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Lord, teach us biblically how to step into grief and come out in faith and power and joy and life and resurrection. Lord, help us as well to step into it in others' lives and to be a source of life and healing in their life. Bless your people. May the favor and the blessing of God be upon your life this day in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, we give the Lord a hand clap. Come on, can we just bless the Lord? We love you guys. I'll see you next week. What another incredible message in our Be Happy series. I'm really enjoying this series, and I hope you are too. That's right, and we always want to make sure that we are here for you guys during the week, so please feel free to reach out to us. You can email us online at churchofthekingcom or probably the best place now is to jump into our church online family Facebook group. Um, we probably should have a link in the chat room right now. It really gives us an opportunity to connect with you guys during the week, to stay connected um, really as a whole kind of church family. And so join that group. We'd love to stay connected and see you guys during the week. Have a great week, and we look forward to being with you guys again next weekend at church.